awesome. Gosh, that video was before I lost weight. Okay, so here's the deal. If you would just kind of slap around somebody near you to make sure they're happy this morning, just kind of slap people. Say, be in a good mood. She's talking about romance this morning. You'll like it. Yay. So awesome. So awesome. All right. Look, let me kind of jump in this morning because it's so fun to hang out with you. Last day, hasn't conference been awesome? And hi to the girl I met at the hotel on the elevator. It's so, (laughs) yay. Okay. All right. Now listen, this morning, you know what? We're going to talk about a whole area of doing male-female relationships a way that honors Jesus Christ. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Because you, what we have those little bracelets, what would Jesus do? I think a better one that needs to go is how would Jesus date? Thank you. And it, so... <laughs> Uh, I thought really you'd want some romantic advice. And so before I go to the scripture, why don't I, could somebody move this back just a little bit further for me? Why don't I give you some elementary school kids advice uh, when they were, these are real kids when they were polled on romance. Okay. Kristen, age 10, when asked, how do you decide who you marry, said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before, and you get stuck with whoever he thinks is the good guy. (laughs) Kristen. Then Derek, age 8, was asked, how can a stranger tell if two people are married. And Derek's answer was, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. (laughs) Isn't that good? By the way, David lied. Lord, forgive him. I'm so cool with telling my age. I'm 63 going on 18. All right. So that's it. Okay. Take your vitamins. All right, whistle on, whoever did that. Yeah, oh, thank you, but thank you. Okay, then Craig, age nine, um, when he was asked, what would you do, Craig, if you had a first date and it turned out really bad and you wanted to ditch the person? And Craig's answer at age nine it was, I would run home real fast and play dead. <laughs> but Craig had more advice. Then the next day, I would call all the newspapers in our town and make sure they wrote about me in the dead columns. <laughs> Isn't that great? Pam, age seven, when is it okay to kiss? Oh, now you're going to want to know this. You're probably going to want to write it down. Pam says, it's okay to kiss only if they're really, really rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pam had it. <laughs> Anita, trying to help you out with your relational advice. She's age nine. Is it better to be single or to be married? At nine, this is Anita's thought. It's really better for girls to be single, but not for boys, because boys need someone to clean up their messes after them. That was Anita. And perhaps one of my favorite from Ryan, Ryan, who's age seven, last one, how would you make a marriage work? I mean, what? So here you are, most of you, you know, still single. How do you make a marriage work? 
Ryan says, you, you tell your wife she looks pretty even if she really looks like a truck hit her face. <laughs> Smart boy, Ryan. Smart boy. <laughs> okay, now, all right, David, wherever you are, brother keyboard David, come help me because we're, we're going to play some touching music. Because I want you to know, David, you're just adorable. I took, I took piano lessons for years, pal. Didn't work for me. You're going to tell me that you never took a lesson and God taught you. I hate you. All right, so go ahead. Now, David, they're going to think I'm fibbing, so I want you to see it. I'm going to read to them a diary page out of an eighth grade romance. It's labeled August 14th, 1963. Isn't that so? Yes, yes, yes. Because I want you to know that I understand. Can you start the sobbing music now? Thank you, David. I understand that puppy love can lead to a dog's life. This was real. This is me. I had this wild crush in eighth grade on this guy named Dan Satinsky. I swear to God, that was his name. His nose was as long as his last name. This is my diary page in eighth grade. Dear diary. All right, you just really get anointed, brother, as the spirit of God leads you. It finally happened. At last I heard that Danny doesn't like me anymore. Yeah. Sandy, this is always great. Sandy asked Steve Gilbert if he did and Steve said no. And Sandy told Ann and Ann told Sue and heaven knows who else Sue told. Sue told me, but no one knows I know. That was good. That was good. That's very good. I just wish I would have known that he didn't like me anymore before I sent him that postcard for vacation in Florida. He must have had a good laugh over that. When Sue told me, I cried. (laughs) Yeah, it's good over there. It hurt so much. But soon, I stopped crying. I couldn't cry anymore because I'm just afraid now. I'm numb, but I hope that's not it because I hope I never like Dan Satinsky or cry one more tear over him. He is not worth it and then, this is so eighth grade if you're in eighth grade god help you if you're like this the more i think of it the more of a rat dan becomes i liked him i liked him and when i did i overlooked how much he hurt leslie but i can't overlook it now that means he dumped leslie for me and now he's dumping me Dan walked into Cheryl's party liking Leslie and he walked out liking me. He's my version of a real jerk. 
And now he's dropped me. Well, diary, never again. Right now, and this is so funny. Right now, I honestly, this is like 50 minutes later. I'm dying at the beginning of my diary. And I feel happier than I have for years. For years. I don't like him for the first time in six long months. <laughs> that was a long one. I guess, I guess I just never could fully stop liking him because I didn't have a real reason. But now, now I've got a reason. And <clears throat> finale, finale. Dan, oh, that's good. Dan Satinsky Diary is officially a has-been. Wild applause, please. Thank you. You're a doll, Dave. Thank you. All right. Pastor, Pastor Brandon, help me real fast. You know, we're going to talk about relationships because for real, I kid around, but they're a big deal. And so real fast, I don't have long. If you, because I'm leaving today, so if you want a product, grab it. This is my favorite book, Dating Declassified on Friendship and Dating and Sex, and it's way good. So, all right, throw, darling. Just throw, okay? Oh, good job. All right, this is for youth leaders. Youth leaders, you want this one. Thriving youth groups. All right. That's good. This one, this one, uncensored, really good. Finding God when he feels far, far away. All right, go, go. Way to go. And this one is the heavy one. So, Brandon, you got to watch it so you don't kill somebody when you throw it. This one's the new one. Uh, my whole life, I've, I've been kind of known for what they call geniusm. Short one-liners that kind of carry significant truth. And so I put them by category. went through four decades of ministry notes. Dedicated it to my master's commission and interns and to my cadre men and women. So, so there you go, you know. So grab whatever you want after you come out because I have to be back on a plane this afternoon. So fun to be with you. And I love David Perkins. And I love John Egan. And, and, and I love being able, Jared, the whole nine yards, I love being able to tell you that all those people are, are even more like Jesus off a stage than they are on a stage. You know, I thought... When Jared came down, anyway, they're amazing people. So uh, let me jump in and, hey, you know, love to have you. Um, if you want to take notes, we'll throw some th- things on the screen. Let me call our few moments together, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, well, listen, the girls are alive today. Oh, oh, you know, <laughs> that's so funny. Oh. Oh, no. Not, 
No, not, no music yet. <laughs> Whoever started that, not yet. Oh, that's the plane. Are you hearing music? Are you hearing music? I think. Air Force Academy, something? I don't know what it is. All right. Uh, and listen, before I forget, I'd love to just, if you like any of the little one-liners, follow on Facebook, the fan page. The other one's Fuller, Twitter, whatever. Our time together is taken from 2 Samuel 13. If you're taking notes, 2 Samuel 13, verses 1 to 19. And I want to stop and say it's so much more than just a quick treatment this morning on, hey, stay out of bed with people that you're not married to. It certainly, it certainly would involve that. But um, 43 years in full-time youth ministry tells me there is no arena that hell will work on more significantly to destroy or derail or diminish your destiny. There is no area more significant than your relationships. Nothing else uh, comes out of hell's arsenal nearly as much. And for some of you, you know, there's never been a dating relationship and, and we're talking about just keeping things in balance emotionally. Uh, and we're saying, don't make this, it's normal to care deeply about this area. So I'm not saying you're supposed to be a monk or a nun. I'm just simply saying, you know, gosh, uh, if you can fight to keep emotional balance in it. Um, you know, Hollywood gives you a really uh, twisted picture of intimacy. And I will tell you that most real love in marriage anyway ends where most Hollywood movies begin. Or wait a minute, begins where most Hollywood movies end. Ooh, that's pretty bad. You know, but, and, and again, it's so much more than sexual intimacy, although that's part of it. And in our passage, uh, intimacy is involved. And, and please know that Hollywood didn't make up the idea for sex. God did. God was not sitting in heaven when he looked down on the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve were there. He, he, God did not look out of heaven and, and see them together and go, ooh, what are you doing, you nasty people? <laughs> Yuck! <laughs> Adam, you get on that side of the garden. Eve, you get on that side of the garden. And both of you put some fig leaves on. <laughs> I mean, intimacy inside of marriage was his idea. He could have done it. Several different ways. I mean, think this over. Instead of having, you know, intimacy be in that regard, he could have, he could have said the way husbands and wives would be intimate would be through pollinating, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, if you were married and you wanted to have a kid, you just sneeze on each other. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey. So it, that's, that's not what he thought. But dating is dress rehearsal for marriage. And, and so let me walk you through um, the passage from 1 Samuel 13 and excerpts. I'm not reading the whole thing uh, from verses 1 to 19. Just listen. And, and again, I'm doing excerpts of the story of Beauty and Beast. Beauty being a lady named Tamar, and the beast being a guy named Amnon. And it came to pass that after Absalom, the son of David, 
had a beautiful sister and her name was Tamar. And Amnon loved her. And pull that down, I'm not on point one. Just wait until I get there. And you can kind of follow me. Thank you, sir. Amnon was so infatuated with her that he physically felt sick from his desire for his sister Tamar. But Tamar was a virgin. And so he thought it would be hard for him to do anything with her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. And Jonadab was a very deceptive man. And Jonadab said to Amnon, why are you being the king's son so sad day after day? And Amnon said, I love Tamar, my half-sister, my brother Absalom's sister. And then Jonadab, his son, his, his friend said, then lay down on your bed and pretend to be sick. And when your father, the king, comes to see you, say, I beg of you, my father, send my half-sister Tamar to cook a meal for me, and I will eat it at her hand. And so Amnon laid down on the bed and pretended to be very sick. And when his father, the king, came to see him, Amnon said, please, father, send Tamar, my half-sister, to me that she may make a couple of cakes in my sight. And I will eat those cakes from her hand. And then David sent a message to Tamar. Go now to your brother Amnon's home and make food for him. And then Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house. And he was in his bed pretending to be very ill. And she took flour and she kneaded and made the cakes as he looked on. Cakes for him to eat. And she put them before him. But Amnon refused to eat them. And then Amnon said, put all of the guards out of my bedroom. And so all of the men left them alone. And then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the cakes closer to me into the bedroom chamber that I may eat them from your hands. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the bedroom chamber. And when she brought them unto him, Amnon took hold of her. And he said, come lie with me, my sister. And she answered, no, my brother, please don't force me to do this. Don't do this stupid thing. If you do it, who will be able to take away my shame? Just speak to your father, the king, and he will give me to you. Yet Amnon would not listen to her. And he being stronger than she was, forced her and laid with her. In other words, they were intimate. And right after they had been intimate, it says, then Amnon hated her exceedingly. The hatred he now hated her with was greater than the love wherewith he had first loved her. And then Amnon said to Tamar, arise, be gone. But Tamar begged him, please don't send me away. This evil of sending me away is now an even greater evil than you just did to me. But Amnon refused to listen to her pleas, and he called for his guards and said, Put this woman out of my bedroom, away from me, onto the street, and bolt the door behind her. So the guards forced Tamar out into the street and bolted the chamber door so she could not get back in. Then Tamar, left alone on the street, put ashes on her head in shame, and she took her robe in grief and put her hands upon her head in mourning and she went into the darkness 
weeping. These few minutes together, Jesus is going to save some of your lives. Let me make a quick disclaimer. If you've ever been sexually abused, someone's taking you, taking you to bed, uh, let me quickly say that, please, the last thing in the world I want you to do is to feel guilt over that. You know, don't let the enemy lie to you and somehow make you feel guilty. On the other hand, for some of you, there's been too much activity prior to this point, and we're going to pray a prayer at the end, and this is the beginning of a new season in your life. But for many others of us, there has not been physical violation up to this point. But this morning is a morning to say, whether you're 12 or you're 32, God, you be the center of my heart. You be the center of my heart. In a world that is so obsessed with, with male-female relationships, and again, nothing wrong with wanting to be with somebody and date them. That's, that's normal. But Lord, I, I come back to you this morning before I walk out of this place saying again, you be the center of my heart so the enemy is not able to, to slowly... Uh, not because of even physical reasons, but emotional reasons, make me a year from now, uh, five years from now, make some stupid choices in my life that will forever minimize the destiny God has for me. Put your hand over your heart just for a minute, even if you're married, doesn't matter. Close your eyes, let me pray real quick. Father, I got on a plane, got up early this morning to pray. You, this place doesn't need another service. They've had a million great services. We're sick of being challenged, Lord. We want to be changed. Change us. May the Holy Spirit, in these brief moments together, find people, whether they're married, single, middle school, high school, college, whatever, find us. And write a message in our heart that will forever be there. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, let me do a quick walk through that passage. It says in 2 Samuel 13, verse 2, and, and I numbered the points in case you're, you're a note taker. And Tamar was a virgin. And I want to stop for a minute and tell you something that, that, you know what, society is not telling you anymore. It is honorable, ladies and gentlemen, to still be a virgin. It is honorable to still be a virgin. Don't let the enemy make you think that there is something wrong with you. Oh, if, if somehow, you know what, you have still not given yourself away to somebody else. It is the newsflash of the century. And, and so I, I, I just want to make sure that you understand, you know, the songs, you know, Katy Perry tells you that it, not only should you not be a virgin, but you need to find a woman if you're a woman and kiss her and woohoo, you know, all that stuff. If you watch her movie, it doesn't look like it's all worked out really well for her, but um, it, it, you, 
Whoa, whoa. God made the whole idea of intimacy and male-female relationships. He wrote the instruction manual. He's a smart cookie when it comes to figuring out how it's going to work best. If you were smart, you'd decide to do it his way. Secondly, from 2 Samuel 13, 3, Jonadab was a crafty friend. Now, crafty in the old language uh, translates to deceptive. Jonadab was a deceptive friend. Now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is so simple, but I want to say this to you. You know what? Hey, if you want to, you can go hang out in the restroom the rest of the service because nothing that's gone on here at this amazing conference, no matter how breathtaking it was the other nights, the other days, it'll be breathtaking tonight, no matter what Jesus does this morning, is really going to last for some of you unless you pre-decide that you're going to change the relationship when you go home with some John Adebs in your life. See, I say it all the time, and I know it's such a, a sentence, it's a geniusism forever. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. And folks, that just isn't for high school kids. That's for adults, that's for all of us. And, and so Jonadab was there. I think the whole story of the beauty and beast, Amnon and Tamar, would have been very different if there had not been a Jonadab. And I'm not blaming the Jonadab because Amnon didn't have to listen to him. But, you know, Amnon was just saying, it's not going to work with my half-sister. And Jonadab came up in the name of friendship with, with hey, pretend like you're sick and, and tell your dad you need her to bake a cake because you're so weak you can't even feed yourself, blah de blah de blah and, you know, all of that stuff. Listen, whether you're a part of this, this church or another one, doesn't matter. Let me tell you from, again, uh, a person who's done youth ministry lots of decades, uh, over and over again when you say, okay, gosh, that person was really going great for God. And, and then a year later, it's a very different story. Over and over again, it's either a romance or it's a friendship that got in the way. And just because your friend goes to church doesn't make them a good friend. For real. I like whoever that girl is. All right. Just because they go to church, you know, there is a big difference between having two supposed Christian friends and having a friendship that's really Christian. And, and so, listen, for some of you, it's so cool before you leave, even this morning, to look at somebody of the same sex and say, um, I, need, I need more than just a friend. I need somebody that I can be honest with, that we can keep each other accountable. And, and so the, the coach in me wants to say to some of you, decide sitting in that chair right now that things are going to change with your John Adab when you go home. And I'm not saying John Adab or John Adab et al. are bad people. I'm just saying that you plus them do not push you closer to God. And then it goes on and it says uh, in Second Samuel 13 verses 4 through 7, it says of what I call the launching of the great pretend game because Jonadab said, hey, pretend. Just pretend like you're sick, you know, and then he'll, your dad will send Tamar and then you can have your way. The great pretend game. And I want to I wanna just simply say to you, listen, 
If we're not careful, we all play the pretend game. Ladies and gentlemen, your youth ministry needs to be a place where you can be honest with some other people about how the enemy is messing with your head or, or some of the tough times. You shouldn't have to come to your youth ministry and pretend to be somebody you're not. And, and listen, for some of you, you know what? You just are too cool for your own good. And the only people in the youth group you talk to and you're nice to are people that kind of dress like you or look like you or all that sort of thing. Listen, don't do that. <clears throat> we really don't need more youth groups. We need youth families. Where, you know what, for real, whether a kid is cool or a kid is not cool, immaterial. You know what, Jesus died for all of us. And, and so, you know, your youth ministry needs to be a place where you're safe with each other, where you don't have to play a pretend game. Um, one, of, one of my gals, Lucy, was telling me it was all over news yesterday about this guy that, this, this guy that died two years ago. And his wife could so not live without him that they just found out that she propped her dead husband up on the couch where they watched TV together. And for two years, his dead body has been there. Yeah, whoo-hoo. Gosh, Febreze couldn't help that. And (laughs) she propped the dead body because she just didn't want to be without him. And they just found him. You know, nobody even knew he was dead. See, you know what? Most of us aren't going to prop a dead body up. And, but in reality, from God's perspective, we do something very similar. Because we look at people who, who cannot possibly meet our emotional needs for understanding or unity or, or friendship. And we say, though you're spiritually dead, I, I somehow think you're going to complete me. So I'm going to prop you up in my life. And I'm willing to take, I'm, I'm willing to, to kind of take a walk away from Jesus. So I don't call it that at the beginning because I so need this dead relationship. And, and so, you know, whatever the pretend game is, for some of you, the pretend game takes you to the internet, to porn. And it's such an easy, agonizing trap Don't hear guilt in my voice, hear empathy and compassion. I understand that friendships and even even other things are easy, so easy to get online that once you trip your way into it far too easily in your private world, does it continue? But listen, all of those areas, whether it's on an internet screen or whether it's it's in person, whether it's just a girl going gaga because she wants a date, you know, and or, or whatever it is, emotionally understand that All of this out-of-balance romance stuff doesn't start from a sexual need. It starts from an emotional one. We all just want somebody. And, and, you know, contemporary music tells us when we meet the right somebody that they're going to always finish our sentences and they're going to always be this perfect person. Let me tell you what, I'm married to the most amazing hero in the universe. He's the senior pastor of where he's been a senior pastor of 47 years. He is in my cell phone as my hero and my boyfriend. He is the love of my life. Having said that, he, he can't possibly meet all my emotional needs, nor I is. 
Only the living Christ can do that. So, you know, what, what are you pretending about? What, where's the something that, gosh, you feel like you feel more secure if you had somebody to date or you'd feel uh, more accepted or you wouldn't feel dirty or on and on. There's a, a website and it's, it's got some pretty dirty stuff on it, so I don't even want to reference where I got it, but it has a bunch of blogs and a bunch of teenagers put up that tells you what's behind the mask in their great American pretend game. Um, let me show you a few, and these are for real, that I pulled off, off the blog's website. It's got music to it. Pretend game. You don't have to clap over that. 
thank you for your kindness. So the great pretend game, saying, gosh, you know, we all have stories behind the stories. Hopefully for many of us, our stories are not quite as graphic as some of the ones that were up there. But, but again, what I want you to hear is that oftentimes our lack of balance in this whole area of relationships deals with some of the stuff in our own life. That somehow we think if we have a relationship or certain things happen in that relationship or they treat us a certain way, that it's going to take the pain or the uneasiness or the lack of security away. And then I'm going to hustle through point four, though it's not on the screen. I, I, if you're taking notes, write down four. The snowball of compromise begins. It's 2 Samuel 13, verses 8 through 9. You know, it all starts. Uh, Tamar is told by her dad, the king, go to, David, uh, go to Amnon's house and bake a cake for him. And then Amnon calls her into the bedroom. You know, pretending to be so weak that she's supposed to bake the cake in front of, uh, you know, him in the bedroom. And, and I'm sure, you know, she had some, some second thoughts on that one, <laughs> mentally making some compromises. Because don't look now, but Betty Crocker does not usually bake her brownies on somebody's bed, you know. So that's not a good idea. I had a couple in one of my youth groups that were struggling. They'd been sexually inappropriate, then they got saved, so they were struggling to keep it pure, and they messed up, and they came. I said, how you doing? Not good. What happened? And they said, we were taking a nap together, and oops. No, no, that's another thought. Do not take naps together. Okay, if you don't know that. So don't bake brownies on the bed. Don't take naps together. Hey, you know, snowball sin, because you see, sin has energy. That's why everybody's ever gone to the wrong place on the internet knows every day that goes past that you keep going back to those places, sin has energy. Everybody knows that for every one hour that they let themselves obsess over wanting to have a someone. And again, that's, I want to keep saying it's normal to want to be with somebody, to want to date, absolutely nothing abnormal. The problem is in the snowball of compromise, when we let things get out of hand, we let it get too big. There was one time, and, and again, I'm a nice youth pastor, I'm a good lady, but you know, every once in a while I have to be pretty direct with kids because they don't seem to get it. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, this girl was so freaky in love with this guy. And it was just, she'd had a heart after God and then very much, you know, in heat with him. So, you know, I, things weren't doing so well spiritually. So they were, it, it was after a youth service several years ago and nobody was standing around and, and I said to the girls that are standing there, listen, could I, could I just ask a favor of you? And she said, well, yeah. And I said, do you mind getting down on your knees right here? Huh? And just work with me. Get down on your knees in front of, you know, so Lancer a lot here. And, and then I said, um, do you mind, why don't you just kind of raise your hand and start singing a chorus of, of I'm desperate for you? Because really, ever since you started dating him, you've made him your God, so you might as well go ahead and worship him. 
Now, that's not how I, don't worry. You're going, thank God you're not my youth pastor. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's not my normal mode of operation. But, but see, sin has energy, and it's, it's just too easy for the dream of having a someone or someone to become too important. And, and so let me jump. I'm going to jump through some of my notes, people, at the slides. Number five, it says Tamar delivered the cake to him. It's 2 Samuel 13, verses 10 and 11. She delivered the cake to Amnon. Now, let me explain to you what I think the cake represents. I think your cake is anything that moves you closer to the bedroom of compromise in your life. Your cake. What's your cake? Your cake is maybe wanting to be too popular. Maybe your cake is certain music that you listen to or a place you hang out or a certain, you know, Jonadab that you leave in your life, uh, a certain place you go on the internet or what you do after 9 p.m. And I, I don't know what your cake is. And, and please get this. Uh, you, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes there's nothing wrong or very wrong with the cake itself. It's just where that the cake eventually takes you. Do you hear that? See, because if you spend your life saying, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? That's the wrong question. The question, if you want to be consumed by the living God, is what's right with that? And, and so oftentimes, you know, we fight over the cake. You know, there's nothing wrong with going to that party. There's nothing wrong with hanging out with that friend. You're right. They're not bad people. They're not, it's not going to be a seance at the party, you know, all that sort of stuff. But you know what truth is, if you're honest with yourself, you're delivering the cake and it's moving you a little closer, maybe not to blowing it totally sexually, but, but getting your priorities, your emotional priorities down the line, whatever it is. Listen, if you don't hear one other word this morning, you hear the living God say to you, figure out what your cake is, what moves you closer to the bedroom of relational compromise, and make sure you don't keep delivering it. For many of us, it's just an emotional thing. There's nothing wrong with girls with watching chick flicks, but I can't watch many of them because I have the greatest marriage in the universe. But if I watch some of them, you know, it, it emotionally makes me feel like, gosh, my husband and I aren't, aren't romantic enough at all. Because let me tell you, men and women, no romance in real life looks like what they make it look like on screen. Hello. You go, ah, oh, sister, my romance with the person I'm dating does. You just don't know what we have between us. We're in love. Homer, you are not in love. You are in heat. Dogs do what you do. And girls, before you amen too much, just remember if, if what you're showing with your clothing is not on the menu, then get it off the menu. But gentlemen, it is no fair to say that someday you want to marry a piece of new furnishing when you're in the antiquing business yourself. 
Hmm. Thus saith the Lord. Okay. It's all in that little geniusism book. You see, oftentimes, one of the biggest traps of the enemy on delivering the cake is we make us feel, he makes us feel like we've, we've got to have something fast. We just can't wait. So, and, 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 you know, we get impatient and you hit 29 and you think, oh my God, I'm not married yet. I've got to grab somebody. Listen, one of the biggest temptations is to just deliver the, you know, compromise, give in for less than. Let me tell you a fun story. It's a real, it's a true story. Names changed uh, from uh, uh, history. During uh, the Vietnamese War, a guy named John Blanchard was going over, no, I'm sorry, it was World War II. World War II going overseas, and he had uh, nobody to communicate with. The internet wasn't existent then, so you had to write letters, you know, the old-fashioned pen pal stuff. And, and so he, a couple of days before he went overseas, he went to a used bookstore in New York City and picked up some used books so that he has something to read. He got home, he was flipping through one of them and saw the comments made by the person who had owned the book before, and they were especially insightful. And so he went to the cover of the book, back cover, he saw her name, Beverly Maynell. So he looked her up in the New York City directory and he called her and he said, Miss Mano, you don't know me. My name's John Blanchard and I'm with the United States Army and I'm going to be leaving for Europe. Uh, by this point, it was in another day. I went to a used bookstore and he told her the name of it in downtown New York City. So she'd know he was for real. I bought this book. It was yours. Saw your name. Saw your comments. I have nobody to communicate with. They used to call it being a pen pal. While I'm overseas, don't have family. Would you be so kind as to allow me, since I'm, I think we, we could have much communication, uh, could, we, could we, you be my pen pal? And we exchanged letters while I'm overseas so it won't be so lonely. She agreed, exchanged addresses. And so he was overseas for two years. And, and after about a year, it became plain that they were not just friends, but that romance was beginning to stir between them. And so John Blanchard sent Beverly his picture and said, I would be so honored if you'd send me a picture back of yourself. And, and she said, well, I'd, I'd rather not. We've, we've built this relationship patiently on just friendship and, and just that. And communication, if, if you would be so kind as to just continue to be a little bit more patient and we'll just keep building it on our communication and friendship. John Blanchard, well, that's a little, a little weird, but that's okay. And so it was several months later that his last letter arrived to Beverly's house in New York City. And he said, I've got my orders to be dismissed. And um, he told her what day was going to be touching down. And then he told her what, what train he was going to be taking and when he would be in Grand Central Station in New York City. And he said, Beverly, it would be so my honor if you would you would come there to the train station, wait for me. And the first thing that I could do when I get stateside would be to take you out for dinner. And I know I won't have time to get an answer back, but here's how we'll know each other. I will be carrying the book that began our friendship. 
And you, would you just wear a yellow rose? And, and I'll look for you. So he gets off the train, and, and the moment he gets off the train, this gorgeous hunk of human being, female, walks past him. She has long blonde hair. She's in this, this uh, green suit. She is just shapely. God was having a good day when he made her. And, and she walks past him, and she flips that blonde hair, and she says, going my way, soldier. And gosh, every ounce of the humanity in him wanted to go her way. He had been overseas two years. And, and but of course, she didn't have the yellow rose. And one more time, soldier, soldier, come on. Go in my way. And then it happened. Out of his peripheral vision, he saw her. He saw Beverly Maynell. She had the yellow rose on. And then he understood why she hadn't sent the picture. She wasn't attractive at all. She had on baggy big coat and didn't look like she had combed her hair or done anything to make herself ready for the big meeting at all. She was everything but attractive. And oh, every ounce of the human being wanted to follow uh, the gorgeous blonde with the green suit. But, but he said to himself, no, no. He knew it wasn't going to be anything romantic, but he said, I owe it to her. We built a friendship. And so he made a call. He, he walked quickly to the lady with the yellow rose. He held up his book and he said, Miss Maynola, I, I just, uh, I'm so honored to know you. My name is John Blanchard. And and I would be so honored if you would allow me to take you uh, uh, to lunch. And the lady paused for a minute, kind of laughed a nervous laugh. And she said, young man, I don't get it. I don't get what's going on. But the lady, the young lady in the green suit asked me to wear this yellow rose. And she said that if you came up to me and asked me out to dinner that I was supposed to tell you that she'd be waiting for you in the restaurant across the street because, wait a minute, you got to hear the last line, because you passed the test. Oh, clap louder. Worship team, come on back up. Come on back up. Worship team, clap louder because that's worth clapping over. I don't have time for the whole ending of the message. The end of the story is simply this, that, you know, Tamar goes out into the street and uh, is pushed out into the street, has lost her virginity. And again, I want to remind all of you who have lost yours, God never creates, consults your past to create your future. So please hear that loudly this morning. Not enough time to make all the balancing statements that I want to make. But, um, you know, it went out into the street. And, and then, you know, I never hear anything else about Tamar again. The Bible is agonizingly quiet about her destiny. And, and 
men and women here, it's not just like if you go to bed with somebody out of wedlock that your destiny is over. That's so not true if you've asked the Lord's forgiveness. But, but hear me really loudly. You better do this friendship and this relationship right thing right because for the 29th time, I'm going to say, as a youth pastor of 43 years, this is the one the enemy most tries to use to take you out of the game. I don't know what Tamar's destiny was. I just don't hear about her again in the Bible, but I hear about Amnon. It was about two years later, and they thought, I'm sure Amnon thought he had gotten away with stuff. And the Bible says that Tamar's brother hunted him down and killed him. Well, no, you're all, yay. Yes, killed the guy. No. That was only girls clapping. Guys are going, ouch, you know, that's not good. And we can, we can uh, close that out and let's go live. I just want to stop to you this morning and say, men and women, listen to me. Listen to me. This area is too important. And so God put me on a plane and sent me here. And maybe I won't ever see a bunch of you again to say, Proverbs, guard your heart, guard your affections, for out of it flow all the issues of life. And so this morning, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're middle school, or whether you're 58, it really doesn't matter because the enemy never stops on this one. I want you not to stand just because it's the right thing to do. Please don't, because you cheapen stuff out for everybody else. Whether you're married, single, however old you are, if you join me, and at 63, I still say it with, with real, real honesty in my heart. If you join me in saying, living God, own my heart, own the center of my heart. I want you to be ground zero for my emotions. Doesn't mean you won't ever date. You're just saying, you be the lover of my life. And I'm standing to affirm that I want you to be everything in my life that Hollywood tells me another person would be. If that's your heart, as it is mine, quietly stand as we sing this chorus.